just like to begin by saying how wonderful it is to be back at the Forest Refuge and, you know, just delightful to be sharing this space, this practice, this time with you. Uh, I haven't met some of you yet. My name is Mi Ocean, and that's like me and ocean slurred together. Um, if I haven't met you yet, I look forward to meeting you. Tonight I wanted to talk about a quality of heart and mind that is a quality that I think in my own life I'd rather not be learning about, or at times it's felt that way. And it's a quality of heart and mind that has at times been very difficult to learn about. And yet, I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, secret. <laughs> it's really essential that without this quality, we are probably really going to suffer. That in order to really nourish this heart-mind, um, to be able to live as a human being in this world, it's invaluable. And in fact, if we don't have it, it just becomes very, very painful. It's a quality that uh, when we start to discover we don't have it, there's a moment that in order to learn it, there almost has to be a surrendering, a deep level of acceptance that life isn't always the way we want it to be. You know, no matter how much we try to think that we are in control, that we know the best way, it isn't always going the way we want it to. And so this quality, which I don't know if it's become obvious yet. Any guesses? <laughs> it's, it's something... Anyone guessing? <laughs> it's good. I mean, they're all good qualities, and you're right, they're all valuable. But what's one that's really hard to learn? Because we have to learn it when things are difficult. That's a part of it. That's a part of it. Yes. <laughs> it's patience. And, uh, you know, I know in my own life, it's not something that I jump up and down when I find that that's my lesson. You know, it's usually when things are really, really difficult. And yet, you know, we find this journey of awakening, or journey of being a human being. You know, that there's times in life where things are easeful, easy, there could be relaxation, clarity, and then wham! You know, we're confused, we don't know what's going on, we're angry, we're frustrated, and we just go between these. And that in itself is irritating. If it was always bad all the time, you might get used to it. But, you know, we have these moments where it's not bad, and then it's like, oh. <laughs> and then we want that back again. You know, so, so somewhere we have to find a way to be in this whole process with a quality of, a pa of patience, acceptance, compassion, a tenderness of heart, a gentleness, a steadiness, forbearance. And these, when you, we, if we look at the word kanti, as it is in Pali, that the, the word kanti has all of these overtones to it. 
You know, so sometimes we can think of patience as being <clears throat> bear down here. You know, we kind of tighten up. We'll make it through. It's not forever. We can do it, and we just get more tight in it. But that's not patience. Patience is imbued with kindness, gentleness. You know, it's just a willingness of heart to stay steady in this rocky terrain. In, you know, when unpleasant experience is here. And, you know, there's a 50-50 chance that experience will be pleasant or unpleasant. Well, no, it's actually 33-33-33 if you count the neutral. (laughs) And sometimes we don't like the neutral because it can seem boring. (laughs) So, you know, it's really, we've got to learn to open to it all. Or what are we learning? You know, if we can open when it's good, Hmm, that's really freedom, yeah? <laughs> if we can open just when it's just how we like it, that's not freedom at all. So, you know, we need this quality of patience that's going to help us when the chips are down, when the struggle's really happening, when somebody that is just irritating is in our face. This is when we can learn patience. And we find that in the Buddhist teachings that this quality of patience is given a lot of credence. Sometimes it's referred to as um, no greater thing exists than patience. It's said that the road to Nibbana or full awakening is paved with patience. So it's quite likely, if we haven't learned about it yet, there will be lessons along the way. It's just a part of the unfolding. Some of us, uh, I was once in this doctor's office, and it was just classic. There was this mother there with her two sons. One was about five, and the other was about seven. And they'd been sitting there a few minutes, and then I heard some discussion. It was like their appointment was at something like 11 o'clock. It was 11.03. And the, little, the youngest boy just started to get so antsy. And his mother must have been trying to teach him about patience. And at one point, he just screamed out, I have no virtue. I have no patience. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, has your mind ever done that? (laughs) Maybe it's just my mind. (laughs) Actually, when I started teaching, I thought, you know, I was thinking, oh, what would be a good thing to talk about? You know, patience. It's a great subject, one of the highest virtues. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, patience. It took me seven years to write the talk. I didn't have the patience to finish it. <laughs> no, so it's just one of those lessons that <laughs> I'm having to learn about all the time. And we really find it comes up in meditation. You know, that maybe we come with the idea to be peaceful, calm, tranquil, and then we start looking at this mind, and it's like a garbage tip. And... It's like, oh my goodness. And, um, 
<laughs> we discover that you know everything that we've ever uh, repressed, denied, places of conflict. We find you know immense levels of non-acceptance. We find that we just keep compartmentalizing in our own minds. And if we fight with that, if we don't allow that to be seen, if we don't allow ourselves to come close to it, we will suffer. We will want to exclude all of that from the path. And if that's our experience in the moment, how are we going to learn? You know, are we just going to try to push that all away and find some little island of peace and calm? Or are we going to find a way to stay in relationship with it, to, which means to stay present to, to find a way not to be overwhelmed by, but to be aware of, so that we can learn from it, so that we can let the experience in this very moment be where the Dharma reveals itself. Because that's how it happens. It doesn't happen in some theoretical understanding. It doesn't happen in some future experience that we might have. It comes through understanding this body and mind here and now. This is the Dharma. This is the place where understanding can happen. And it needs to be inclusive of all of these different aspects of experience. Actually, Trungpa Rinpoche, he was a um, Tibetan teacher who lived in the West for many years, was very influential. And he had a couple of great things that he, I mean, many, many things that he said that were just seemed spot on. And he once described practice as one insult after another. And, you know, sometimes it feels that way. (laughs) Not all the time, but there's times like that. And so it's really, how do we learn to be with this? And it's going to take patience because there's a reason why we have cut off, denied, repressed, suppressed these states because they're unpleasant. They're not easy to be with. They're tenacious at times. And we will find, even with the best of intentions, we get caught time and time and time again. And so if we are fighting that process, our our practice becomes very painful. It becomes a way that we are never good enough. We are never okay as we are. And that is not the Dharma. But with patience, we will really learn how to be with this unfolding in a kind way, a gentle way, a way that really has acceptance of these ups and downs 
all of these different experiences that arise, we will find a way that we can learn to stay steady amidst all that comes. I'd like to just share a couple of experiences in my own life where it just felt like profound lessons in patience. So of course that meant I was squirming. <laughs> it wasn't easy. Now the first experience I want to describe is uh, a time in my life where I had decided to go to Burma and to ordain temporarily as a nun. Now, this is something that's quite common in Southeast Asia in the Theravada tradition, that people will, for a period of time, put on robes, live according to the precepts, um, shave your head, and it was something that I found at one point that I aspired to. I had really wanted to go and live as a nun amongst nuns, to see if there was anything just in how they lived their lives, their daily lives. You know, I've been to Burma before to do intensive practice, you know, very similar to what we're doing here, but I wanted to go and live more in a daily life way and just see how they were living and see what it was I could bring back to my own daily life from that. And I had decided to go to an area in Burma called Sagain Hills, I'd been there a few years before, and it is an area in Burma that is breathtakingly beautiful, that it's dotted with nunneries, monasteries, pagodas, and the Irrawaddy River winds itself through this. Uh, it's a place where you almost feel like you're, you're walking in the time of the Buddha. And on my first trip there, I'd, I'd been actually... In overlooking this nunnery that I ended up at and just had this aspiration to come back and practice there, to just see what it was like to practice in an environment like that. And then, you know, also the aspiration came to temporarily ordain. Um, when I went to Burma and I had my ordination, it was really a sense of having the inner and outer world in alignment. It was quite profound for me. But then, <laughs> very soon after that, it got really difficult. You know, I first ordained with uh, my teacher, who was a monk, and he was sending me to this nunnery in, in Sagain Hills that was really well-respected. And so he sent me off there. I traveled up with a Swiss nun friend and a Burmese woman. They were just going to help me settle in because the area I was going to, the people there, not many spoke English. So they just wanted to get me settled. And so we first went to this nunnery and we toured around um, and we got back to the room at night and I was just like, uh-oh, <laughs> I think I bit off more than I can chew. That was the feeling inside. And then just as I'm sitting there with these feelings, and my friends and I really hadn't communicated much about what had happened, transpired in the day, but then one of my friends says to me, I'm really concerned about leaving you here. And right at that moment, I, I was drinking some water that I'd been given, and I spat out this lump 
And when I spat out this lump, I said, so am I. <laughs> and, you know, it was just like best of intentions. I didn't know if I could do it. So anyhow, we moved from there. We earlier in the day visited, visited quite a nice nunnery uh, where the conditions were just easier. Uh, the, the other one was just very tightly packed. Uh, where I would be eating and spending time in this dark, smoky room and living in a heated tin shed, sharing it with other nuns where you couldn't open the windows. Uh, it was just like, whoa, I don't know if I can really do this. So this move to a place that felt more comfortable felt like, whoa, it gives me a bit of room to breathe. And so, you know, they helped me settle in, and then they left. And when they left, I was, I touched loneliness in a way I had not experienced in my life. Even though I had traveled a lot on my own in the world, somewhere loneliness wasn't something I was familiar with. In fact, in my life, I'd sought out solitude. And yet, it was something about being in this culture, people not speaking English, being in an environment where people were talking around me. It wasn't like being in a silent retreat center and not feeling a part of that. And then I, I had this dream that I would just work with the nuns, even though I couldn't speak the language. I knew that would be the case. But I thought, if I can work with them, that, that, that I will learn from that. You know, we all know we can learn through being with others. And, but then they didn't even want me to work with them. They didn't want me to chop vegetables with them because they were afraid that my hands would become smelly from the garlic and onions. They didn't want me to sit on the floor and eat with them. They wanted me to sit at a table alone and have my meal. And so sometimes I could hear them celebrating off in the distance in a big hall all gathered together. And then I would sit alone at this table. And then some days, um, my world was very different, where I would sit and walk. You know, that seemed like what I could do. And yet, uh, at times, people would come and say, come, come. And they'd say, come, come. And I'd never know where I was going. You know, and so it, it didn't allow me to settle into a rhythm of sit, walk. It was really fragmented. Or sometimes I'd say they were going to come, and then they'd never come. So I just felt like I never knew one moment to the next what was going to happen. I'd get in the car. I didn't even know where I was going. Nobody could tell me. You know, do I need water? Do I, you know, do I need to make sure I've gone to the toilet? What do I, you know, I just never knew. And then sometimes at meals, somebody would come, and they'd start trying to teach me how to say fork and knife in Burmese. And inside I'd be screaming, what does this have to do with my liberation? <laughs> no, it was just... It was hard. And the stuff that was coming up in the mind, it was magnified by their generosity. I felt like in some ways I was in a bath of loving kindness. They had this foreign nun in their center. They were doing all of this out of the kindness of their heart, wanting to give to me, to offer to me. And yet, you know, all I had coming up was this yuck inside. And there I was, bald head, pink robes, going, oh my God, <laughs> you know, feeling like I'm the worst nun in the world. <laughs> it, it was really, really challenging. And then one day I read a quote where it just brought ease to my heart. And, you know, it was 
um, this is paraphrasing it a bit, until we are fully enlightened, there will be times when we are lost in confusion. Just in reading that was like, oh, you know, this is a part of it. This is a part of what happens to be this lost, but to feel within that, this heart that longs for freedom. And when we have patience, we don't get caught in the aversive, angry reaction to that. We don't abandon our hearts in those moments. But we learn to look. We learn to find a steadiness of heart and mind. We learn to find a bigger frame in which we can hold this experience that doesn't lead us into defeat and frustration. I also, last year, had another very strong lesson. It was not in a meditation retreat, but it was certainly around using practice in life. I went to Ladakh, and I was trekking. And I was going over a few passes that were around 18,000 feet. And on the very first day of the trek, Right before the last meal, before I went on the trek, I ate something that set off my system in a certain way. It wasn't major, but then you start putting heavy exertion into it. You start putting increasing altitude. um, And I just started to find that I was quite sick. I couldn't, you know, at one point I couldn't keep food down. I could only wet my mouth with water. I couldn't even like gulp water. I couldn't, you know, it was just like little baby sips. And I was doing this over a few days. That kind of walking, they were long days. It takes a lot of endurance. It takes a lot of energy. And my body wasn't getting fed through the food. So it was a time where I completely fell back on my practice. I really don't know what would have happened without it. You know that it was a time where there was no way to indulge in fear, anxiety. Uh, you know, we watch what happens in our practice when we do that, and it just compounds our suffering. But when we, we just see, it doesn't mean fear doesn't arise in the mind, but that we don't follow it. We don't buy it. We don't take it on. We don't indulge it. We just let it be. When, you know, it was really a time where I had to walk step by step. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't let the idea, oh, this is ruining my whole trip. This was my trip. Just like when it happens, we're meditating or on retreat. This is our retreat. Whatever it is, this is it. And so it was like just having to be with, this is what's happening. And it was kind of, in many ways, uh, one of these bizarre experiences where at times the body was retching and the mind was balanced. 
And at other, in other moments, I'd look up at the spectacular scenery and be going, oh my God. <laughs> you know, it was, it was amazing. Uh, and I remember after, after uh, I'd been going for about two weeks, I was doing a couple of different treks, and I had a period in between where I was in a place where there was a phone where I could call my husband. And I called him, and I told him something I'd been through. So here he is, back in America, hearing his wife talk about how sick she'd been, how she'd been just retching and whatever. And she's going, and I'm having a great time. You know, he just was like, should I be worried? <laughs> what should I do? But there was, you know, there was a great power that came from being able to be steady with the whole experience. And this is what we learn in practice. But actually, a lot of that lesson comes through being with impatience. No, it's not like we can say, okay, be patient, be tolerant. That can really lead to that sense of trying to bear it. But there are a few things that are helpful in really learning to learn from this impatience, learn from the difficulties that I want to talk about. So the first one of these is in learning to reframe our attitude towards the unpleasant. Because often our attitude, unpleasant, get rid of. It's not right. It shouldn't be this way. I mean, just notice on a day and retreat, when there is a lot of unpleasant experience, how there can be the tendency to say, oh, it wasn't a very good day today. Now, which was really can be just about the fact that unpleasant experience was predominant. And so, you know, if we think that unpleasant experience is bad, wrong, to be gotten rid of, we miss the opportunity. Instead, if we reframe these experiences as something to look at, something to see, to understand, to explore, right then it opens the mind. Right then it invites acceptance. This is something that's here right now that's of value. So we explore it. If it's impatience, what does it feel like? What's the texture of it? How is the mind? What are the thoughts like that are in the mind? What happens when we identify with impatience? That is so powerful. Moments where we grab at impatience because they hurt and they can have a lasting impact. If we look in our lives at moments where we have lashed out in impatience, it's quite likely we've caused harm, whether it's to ourself or to another. You know, you get impatient with somebody and you just, you know, you say something, you do something, and that can have a huge impact. You know, the anger, the hatred that can come out can take years lifetimes to mend. It can change the direction of our lives in a split second. There's actually a 
Chinese proverb about one moment of patience may ward off great disaster. One moment of impatience may ruin a whole life. And, you know, there's probably people whom are in jail right now that if you say that to, they understand. You know, that one moment where they identified with, acted in that impatience can have huge consequences. But we can't stop impatience from arising when, you know, it's not like you can keep it at bay. But when it arises, you can look. You can inquire. You can use this very experience to help to stabilize the mind to be able to see impatience in its nature, to be able to see it is a conditioned experience that is impersonal, insubstantial, that is not the truth of who we are. And with this, you know, this looking, this seeing, this inquiry, we really get a sense of listening to life rather than forcing our agenda. And so much of impatience is where life does not meet our expectations. It does not meet our agenda, our idea of the way things should be. And so, by just reframing, looking, not something to be gotten rid of, but something to be explored, understood, seen in its nature. We can do this in little ways on retreat, just noticing where the rub is during a day. You know, sometimes being in the food line, the person in front of you is so slow. It's driving you nuts. Yeah, I mean, I, I have at times when, you know, for whatever reason, been worked up and felt like I'm just screaming, come on, get on with it. Or, you know, they're, they're hesitating about what they're going to take. And it's like, make up your mind. You know, and, and so it's like right in that moment, looking. Or maybe you're in an interview. And the teacher gives you a suggestion. And it, it's like, oh, forget it. You know, I learned that in kindergarten. You know, and it, whatever, you know, it just, it rubs you. Or you're sitting in the hall. And um, you just get impatience with somebody who just arrived. And, all, you know, they're, they're, they're going through the settling in and they're, you know, just rustling around, struggling a bit. And you just get impatient. You know, you can't you see it's silent in here? You know, can't, can't you feel the impact of your movement? You know, but it's all, really, it's your mind. It's fine. You know, if you've just arrived, you know, allow yourself to settle in. But this, you know, it's like just looking in these moments. What's happening? Give it a bigger frame. You know, don't be so involved in it. Just allow the mind to be with this. And then we use it as a support. 
to wake up. A second piece that can be really helpful in strengthening of this quality of patience is to really recognize and understand the complexity of life. That things are conditioned. And sometimes we can't clearly see that conditioning. Sometimes, well, so I'll give an example of something that commonly happens. That we're talking to somebody and we very innocently say something and it triggers a reaction in them that we would never have wanted to trigger. You know, it can sometimes be looking at a person in a certain way. And just due to their past conditioning, it might remind them of their mother, their father, somebody who they've really suffered in, in relationship with, and it just triggers something. And, and, you know, so something happened that we really didn't want to have happen, but it did because of the complexity of karma, the complexity of the conditioned nature of experience. This being able to see that this unfolding is complex is really helpful. Another example of how this is helpful is that there's somebody who is yelling at you, is really angry. And we don't, you know, again, we don't, might not have any idea what we did, what we said, why they are, why are they just speaking to us in this way? And, you know, it's easy to get really angry back at them, to not, uh, you know, just, to just re- retaliate with that anger. And yet, what's happening in that moment is that they are strongly affected by a very difficult mind state. They are overrun by it overpowered by it. And they don't have control in that moment. It's, it's like and if, when we can feel how painful that is, we don't demand that a person be the way we want them to be. We don't demand it of ourselves. You know that sometimes we get set off by little things that happen. And you, you, you just can't even imagine why it set you off the way it did. But having a little bit of kindness there, and then using that to take the opportunity to look, to see, to be with. Patience really becomes the compassionate response. And this is strengthened through wisdom, through clear seeing. You know, seeing into suffering itself, the nature of suffering, why suffering happens. And when we touch this in our own experience, 
it leads us into something else that happens as we develop patience, that we develop tolerance. We become much more tolerant of ourselves, our perceived imperfections, the mistakes that we think we've made. We become much more tolerant of others when they do things that we don't like, that we think are harmful. But we find that there's a greater tolerance because we understand what the deluded mind is like, what it's like to not see clearly. When someone's insulting, condescending, we feel their pain instead of being reactive. We find that this tolerance, again, is helping us to stay connected in the midst of So with patience, we find that um, we can reframe the attitude. We can look to the understanding of the complexities of life, the complexities of being a human being. We find that we can also develop tolerance which this tolerance can even be just allowing people to be different. You know, it really opens us up to be able to accept all kinds of people, whomever they are. As someone mentioned uh, the word acceptance in the beginning of the talk, this is actually the characteristic of patience is that there's an acceptance, an acceptance that is deep and enduring, that is kind and caring, that um, really helps us to stay connected. Ajahn Buddhadasa once said that if there was a phrase that was helpful to have, like to have on a medallion around your neck, it would say, this is the way it is. And, you know, this is, with patience, we we just begin to see, to have this enduring acceptance that this is the way it is right now. This is just the way it is. And that isn't a collapsing in resignation. That isn't, you know, where it's like... Uh, Acceptance is not resignation. Really important to know because true acceptance has a connection. Helen Keller actually once said something uh, that relates to this. She said, everything has its wonders, even darkness and silence. And I learn whatever state I may be in, therein to be content. And so patience takes us into this acceptance and contentment, contentment with what is. The function of patience is to be able to endure the pleasant, the unpleasant, the neutral. And without this, we will only live a very superficial life where we live with that pull to the pleasant, to getting what we want, 
to having things be a certain way. And that in itself, we know, is exhausting, tiring. And it just, you know, isn't going to lead to a deeply fulfilling life. There's a poet from Boston who had a wonderful uh, line about this enduring quality. His name was John Ciardi. Ciardi? Sorry, I don't have, I can't quite read it. Um, He said, Patience is the art of caring slowly. You know, so patience is the art of caring slowly. This enduring, um, enduring kindness, willingness. It allows us to really hold this process gently, without brutality. And patience is said to manifest as tolerance. Now, where we're not threatened by opposition, differences, where where unpleasant, you know, painful body experiences arise, and it's not threatening to a sense of well-being. The difficulties we encounter as human beings, you know, the mind finding stability the capacity to remain present with. We find out of this that there comes a really deep inner strength. And the proximate cause of patience is said to be seeing things as they are. We just get patient. You know, so it's, it really comes as a result of the work that we're doing here. I mean, the whole purpose in doing this practice can be to see things as they are. And as that happens, we just find this quality of patience tinged with kindness, compassion, gentleness. It starts to emerge. It takes us into what's called great compassion. Where we can find the capacity to hold it all as it is. The sorrows, the joys, the ups, the downs. Patience does go against the grain of our instant culture. And that's what makes it such a challenge. I'm sure, you know, even if we weren't in the instant culture, um, it still is difficult to learn. But our conditioning, you know, we want it all now. We want it fast. I remember in one of my first retreats, it was a 10-day retreat. And I went into that retreat fully believing that 10 days should do it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, <sighs> well, here I am. 
but letting all these edges, these difficulties, these challenges, letting them be the place, the time, the understanding that can come through and help us in our lives. In this way, there are no mistakes. There are no imperfections. In this way, this very body, this very mind, this very time can be the place where we explore what it is to free the mind, what it is to be a human being, where this is just a part of the package. You know, a part of conditioned experience is going to be that it changes. You know, some of it's pleasant, unpleasant. But that, out of that, we learn to find true refuge. We learn to find that which is stable, that which is freeing. And we let it be a process. We don't put the pressure on ourselves of this instant now. And at the same time, we are in the now. But it's not a pressurized now that I'm going to get something from, that I'm going to get better from. But it's a now that can be explored, even in its difficulties. There is a uh, quote from Einstein that I really love. And he was asked about his creativity. And his answer points towards something about patience. He says, research may take many years of groping in the dark. Hence, the ability to hold on to a problem for a long time and not be destroyed by repeated failure is necessary for any serious researcher. And sometimes I've just felt like a researcher you know, in practice, the researching of what it is to be a human being. And, and, you know, just to see that sometimes it's dark, it's hard, but that's where we don't give up. That's where we stay true to our hearts. And that's where we develop patience. So I'd just like to close tonight with a uh, quote from Rainer Rilke. He says, I would like to beg you to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you wouldn't be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then someday far in the future you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. So let's just sit for a moment.
May all beings come to know the grace of patience.